one, and, and if a couple wants to share one, that's fine. And then those of you who are young adults, seventh grade on up, I'd like you to, if you'd want, you can take this binder and use it if you want, because there'll be three ring punched, and uh, you can use that and make that a little folder like I did for mine. Um, this subject is something we actually did about three years ago, and I'm glad that we have reason to do it again. And I realize that not everybody in here might think it applies to them, but I promise you that you will hear some things that you might not have ever heard before, and hopefully you'll realize what the Bible's saying about things and issues in our lives that people don't know. People don't realize how much God has to say about this subject. And so if you need if you need one, uh, let me know. I've got some extra handouts here, and, and there's still one van still waiting to get back, and so they'll be coming in as well. Um, and then you'll need a pen or a pencil each Wednesday as we go through this. I'm thankful that we have new people here that have never heard anything of this before, but about three years ago I did take this and, and teach it, and um, it has to do with uh, the idea of relationships, girls, guys men, women. And uh, Mike Eastrick is the one that wrote it, and he was here several years ago, and he called it the battle of the sexes. And whatever you want to call it, that's what it's about, dating, courtship, and just relationships. And uh, if there's one subject that the devil has done a really good job on is to get people to think they understand this when they don't. And there's very little biblical um, leader, leading in, in people's lives when it comes to this so important area. Instead, what we do is we allow Hollywood and music and, and whatever else to teach us uh, what love is and what relationships are supposed to be. And uh, it's always um, love at first sight. It's always the idea of you know the most beautiful, the most handsome. And yet, as we get older, some of us know that's just not the way it is. That's not what really is it's about. And, and we, we realize that we really know very little. And, and people with maturity usually say, the more, I, the, more, the, the more I learn and the longer I've been married, the more I realize how little I knew about love way back when. And um, so let's just talk about this tonight. And it's never too early, seventh grade on up. And the younger ones, they can let their parents be their guide on this, but it's never too early because, unfortunately, we are being bombarded with this topic. And uh, we, we are being bombarded with um, what the world and the world philosophy is because that's how you destroy a society is get them goofed up in this idea of what is a man and what is a woman. Now, when I was a kid, that, was, that would have been a funny thing to say, but now we realize it's no longer funny it's serious because we realize and, and understand this as I start to read this understand that this was written 22 years ago this material is is 22 years old and yet it's it's almost prophetic did you get one for Frank as well okay great and uh will you take one for Josh thank you sir all right so let's get started and by the way no matter what the subject matter I appreciate everyone that comes to church and I want to say to the older folks in here, let's say that you might hear something tonight or through these weeks and you say, wow, I wish I would have had that when I was a teenager. Will you do me a favor? Will you tell that to one of our young people? Tell them, say, hey, I wish I'd have known that when I was your age. I'd have saved myself a lot of heartache or a lot of pain. I hope that you realize how important this is. 
And I hope no one checked out because I said on Sunday night, this is going to be about relationships. Well, I don't need to know that. I hope that you realize there's always a reason to come to church. And there's probably something you need to hear that you don't know or hadn't heard before. And it's important to know this. So I appreciate you being here tonight. But let's get started as uh, our memory verse. And we're going to go to Galatians, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 1. It's always good to start there. And let's get going. Genesis chapter 1, the memory verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Think about it. To say that there is a difference between men and women would be an insult to the intelligence of any self-respecting teen. Yet our society persists in its attempts to break down the natural differences and roles of the sexes. Women were once proud to stay at home and raise children and have, and have dropped the kids at daycare and put on their work boots and marched off into the factory. Meanwhile, the men went down to the jewelry store and left uh, wearing a necklace and an earring. What happened here? We're changing our roles. While you might think that these changes are minor and meaningless, they are just the beginning. The sodomites, who don't seem to know what gender they are, have come out of their closet of the shame, uh, to assume, of shame to assume key government positions and promote their agenda of sexual confusion. This was written 22 years ago. It, at the local Planned Parenthood Center, a young lady has just found the quote-unquote final solution to her unwanted pregnancy because it did not fit in with her career plans. Next door at the hospital, Joe is undergoing gender reassignment surgery because he thinks he is Joe Ann. There is no doubt about it. Times are changing, and with them the roles of the sexes. Yet God has clearly defined the role and conduct for both men and women in the scripture. It is vital for Christian teens to understand what God intended for the sexes and avoid the lies and attacks of Satan. All right, I uh, saw some more coming in. Joshua, you give that to Mr. Day back there and I've got them. You might as well have something in your hand as we go. And then if you need anything, let me know. I can email this to you as well. And um, if you need something, let me know. But we've got, I want to just make this available, especially to those who are not yet married and who have not made life-changing decisions yet. All right, the design established. Read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. I just read you verse 27, but Genesis chapter 1 it says this in verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That was God. That's what he did. He created man and woman. He created them male and female. And he created them to have dominion over the creation that he had made. Chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food and the tree of life. Also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of the good of good and evil, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. And the name of the first Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Bedalium and Onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gion, and the, and the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. The name of the third river Hidekel, that is, <coughs> excuse me, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names of the, all, all the cattle and of to the fowl of the air, to the, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meat for him. And so I believe that God was doing this on purpose. He was introducing Adam to all the different animals, creating them right out, right in front of him out of the dust of the ground. And, and, and Adam noticed that Mr. Hippo had a Mrs. Hippo. And he said, oh, that's a hippo. That's a hippopotamus. And, and then that's a giraffe. And, 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 and that, that's an eagle. And, and Adam was naming all the animals. He came pre-programmed with intelligence to do that. And he had enough intelligence to realize there's a Mr. Hippo and a Mrs. Hippo and a Mr. Bear and a Mrs. Bear, but there isn't a Mrs. Adam anywhere. And I think God was doing that on purpose. And so verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he did surgery while he was sleeping. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And so here we see the first man, the first woman, being created for each other, a help meet for each other, a help meet for him, and then the first marriage. And God performed all that. And God performed the first marriage. And God designed, as Jesus said, male and female. And yet there are so many people that don't even get this and haven't even been taught this. They were taught evolution. We're all just, you know... Uh, random chance chemicals that got together and whatnot, and so everything's just willy-nilly and we just do whatever feels good. That's not so. God made man in his own image. And so God established himself, the design and purpose of the sexes for marriage. So number letter A under number one, God's purpose for the sexes, man, man's creation role. He was a reflection of the image of God. You are a reflection of God as a human being. This is why it's wrong to mar your body and to defile your own body. You are created in the image of God. Don't graffiti it. Don't ruin it. Don't destroy it. Don't despise it. Letter B, he was given dominion over God's creation. As we said there in chapter 1, he was to have dominion over it. This is why men and mankind are different than the animals. We are not the same as the animals. We are to have dominion. There is a game and fish department because man is to have dominion over the animals and over creation in, in, in general. Then let her see at the top of the page. He was to serve as the earth's chief gardener. We saw that. He was to dress it and keep it. He was to take care of the garden. What a beautiful place it must have been. No weeds. Absolute gorgeous, beautiful, luscious, wonderful place that we and I could only imagine until we get to the new world. We can never see that here and now because of sin. But he got the opportunity to be the gardener of, what, of the beautiful Eden. And then number two, the woman's creation role. She was given to Adam as a help meet for him. Meet meaning fitting and, and just right, perfect uh, match for him. She was given to Adam as a help meet. Eve was made to order, you could say, for Adam. 
She was the perfect answer to his loneliness and need. And I think God allowed him to recognize he had a need. He was missing somebody. Everybody else had a partner. He didn't. And she was that perfect fit. She was created to be a wife and a mother, it says. Uh, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And so she was created to be a wife and a mother. And God's plan let her be for sex and marriage. We see that now. What is God's plan? And this is the problem. The world does not know God's plan. The world does not understand creation. doesn't understand that we are made for a purpose. It was for the purpose of bearing children. To have children. Not to not have children, but to have children. And it was to give a life of sexual fulfillment and enjoyment. And God designed it, and it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. In fact, the gray box there is Hebrews 13.4, and it says marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. See, God made something absolutely pure, clean, beautiful, wonderful, and Satan takes it and twists it and defiles it and ruins it and destroys it. That's all Satan can do is take whatever God made that was good and mess it up. What we call sex is a beautiful and precious gift from God when carried on within the confines of marriage. Outside of marriage, it is a destructive and enslaving sin. Outside of marriage, it is sin no matter what it is. It is sin no matter what it is outside of marriage. I know the average movie today and the average books you read from from the worldly, um, you know, adult store is all about sin instead of marriage. People think that that's more fun. It's not. Marriage is what God designed. And what you'll see is a lot of time is marriage being ridiculed and laughed at. Oh, now you're a slave now that you got married. Too late now, blah, 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 and all this. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee fornication. Fornication literally comes from the Greek word porneo, and that's where we get our word porn, pornography. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Pornography and fornication, porn, porn, it's it's the detriment it's the beginning of of a road that you'll never ever ever be able to recover yourself from it will deep deeply scar you mentally and spiritually flee fornication so any kind of sin that is outside of marriage any kind of that kind of a sin outside of marriage is fornication now on top of fornication if someone happens to be married to someone else when it's going on then it's full-fledged adultery See, all, all, all adultery is fornication, but not all fornication is adultery because it could be that just two people are shacking up and that's not adultery, but it's still fornication. Still wrong, still sin, still not good for you, still not right. And then number three under letter B, it was designed as a lifelong commitment. Romans 7 says the idea of till death do you part. That's where we say, why we say that at a wedding, till death do you part. Romans 7 teaches that Death is what annuls a marriage. That's God's pattern for marriage. Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Jesus said this, and I'm just going to quickly, as I can get to it, read it for you. But Matthew 19 and uh, verse 14, or excuse me, verse 4, 
Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Nobody understands that anymore. Number five, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. That's what we just read in Genesis. Wherefore they are no more twain, that means two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. God never in, invented this thing of marriage as a trial or as an, you know, let's just try it out like you do a car and trade it in after a while. That was never God's design. That's not what God wants. That's not the idea here. It's to be a lifelong commitment. And I say that not to make anybody in here upset or, 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 or feel bad if your marriage did not stay together. I say that because I want the young people in here to be very serious about marriage. I hope all of you adults and older people realize that it, we need to focus on the young people and, and help them find a better direction and maybe think it through and pray more than we did at their age. It's a design to be lifelong. That's the design of it. God's pattern for marriage, letter C. Ephesians chapter 5. See, marriage actually is supposed to be a, a, an illustration of something else. In Ephesians 5, and verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. So, so let, me just, let me just say this without trying to sound silly. Since it says, wives, submit to your own husbands, I strongly suggest you marry someone you can submit to. Does that make sense? Don't marry him for the wrong reasons. Marry him because he is godly, he is honest, and you can submit to him. Otherwise, it's going to be real hard for you to. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so that the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And then it goes down and it says that, that the marriage is really just a reflection of Christ and the church. And you see that in the verses we read. And so as Christ loved the church is how husbands should love their wives. Nobody, including me in here, loves their wife like Christ loved the church. We're human and we fall short of that, but that's our pattern. That's our example. God's pattern for how a marriage is supposed to work is the relationship of Christ and his church. So you and I, I think everybody in here probably knows that salvation is not a conditional thing. You know, if you get saved, you can't lose your salvation. But what if I rob a bank tomorrow? Or what if I kill someone? What if I were to kill someone? Couldn't I lose my salvation then? No. So if salvation is an unconditional thing, then would Jesus ever stop loving me just because I did kill someone? That was perfect timing. No. In other words, husbands, you might have a wife who does some awful things. The world will tell you. A lot of people will tell you. Well, man, you, it's time to check out. I'm trying to soberly warn young people in here. That's not what God says. You need to realize. You need to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, if you don't want to have an unhappy marriage, think long and hard and pray 
and don't jump in before you know it's God's will. Number one, it's a pattern for affection. It says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. He loves us more than we love our wives. Number two, it's a pattern for submission. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And it's a pattern for devotion. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. God's given us some pattern here. And it says back in chapter 4 and verse uh, 30, I think it is, in 31, it said, uh, verse 32, well, let's, read, let's go ahead and read verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So how should I forgive my wife? Just like Jesus forgives me. So does that leave me any excuses? How should my wife forgive me? As just like Christ forgives us. So, even though she's got some pretty good excuses, according to the Bible, she still doesn't have a good enough one. And then, number two, the distinction diminished. Satan has used many social and economic changes to break down the distinction between the sexes. His most violent attack has been against women. Not just women, but he has definitely made real progress and headway with, with women. And so on the page next, we have the Industrial Revolution. This is something that happened before any of us were born, so it's hard for us to realize that this is what happened. But over 100 years ago, things really started to change in the world, and especially in America. You can go back and look at old black and white pictures and see and understand some of it. But during the 19th and early 20th century, new inventions such as the steam engine made it possible to build factories which made products quickly and cheaply. Many of these factories employed women and children to work as much as 14 hours a day. Products were, which had once been hard, hand, excuse me, handmade at home could now be manufactured. And families, which once worked together to sustain life, began to move outside the home to seek work. And so the love of money is the root of all evil, and the mighty dollar and the need for a job push people into the idea that we could work we could make more money we could be happier whatever it might be and I don't think that is how it worked out <clears throat> but that is kind of what happened and of necessity people had to have a job I understand that but you know once upon a time America was pretty much farmers that was a good thing it's still a good thing the thing about farming is <clears throat> especially old fashioned farming not today's kind of farming but the old family farm kept the family working together. And it didn't matter if the economy crashed because your farm could feed you. If you just... And by the way, that is the biblical idea of land. God gave a lot of them all some land. And the land... And so till the land... I mean, that's what he told Adam and Eve, even after they sinned. Till the land and take care... And, and learn how to grow your own food and feed yourself. And, but at the same time... Johnny and Susie are going to be growing up at home and working alongside mom and dad. And that was the way it was. But this new factory idea and industry and technology moved in. <clears throat> and, it, and it kind of pushed the family apart and they all kind of went out and worked for somebody else. And at first, you know, it, it was a wonderful thing because they seemed to have money and blah, blah, blah. But 14 hours a day is a long time. 
probably do that at the family farm, but at least you'd be together. As industry and technology grew into the mid-20th century, a number of other changes began to take place as well. Though many of the changes made life much easier, I was saying the other day how the washing machine was invented to save time. I think that probably, in a lot of ways, ladies still had a lot more time when it was the old washboard. I'm not saying we need to go back to washboards. But all these life, or, you know, these these uh, time-saving devices that we have today doesn't seem to be saving time. We seem to be more busy than ever, never getting as much done. And um, I was saying on, on uh, I think it was Sunday school or somewhere, I was saying how that, you know, if ladies did do wash the old-fashioned way, they would have more time to pray and think because it's just a monotonous job. It wasn't like they had to do a lot of thinking while they were doing it. And, and, and so we, we, we've figured out how to just make ourselves more busy and more stressed. Though many of the changes made life much easier, there were some changes which would have dramatic effect on the roles of the sexes. And I'm not going to turn there tonight, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5 through 12, it talks about, you know, teach them to your children and talk of them when you go by the way and you walk together. In other words, your daily routine, just talk to your kids. The the idea of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that you're going to be around your kids all day. That's not happening today. People aren't around their families. I think in a lot of cases, people, alarm goes off, we grab a Pop-Tart, we jump out the door, and then we don't get back until it's time to fall into bed and we hardly have time to visit and talk to each other. And, and, and the families aren't as tight and as close as they used to be. People, and, and young people especially, are actually closer to their age group friends than they are to their families. So then guess who ends up influencing them on matters of love and romance and all that. So, number one, women entered the workplace. All of a sudden, women were, were, you know, and, and then you have World War One and World War Two, and Rosie the Riveter, and and on and on. The education of children moved outside the home into this government program called public school that really is just glorified public daycare, no matter how much education they do there, it doesn't replace what could be done at home. But now people are so ignorant that most people don't know how to teach children basic things. But once upon a time, there was a one-room schoolhouse or there was things that were much simpler than we have them today. And it is a daycare. And again, as I said earlier, children become more accustomed and more affectioned and more uh, personally attached to maybe a teacher or someone else than their own parent, coach, whoever. Number three, food items and goods which were previously homemade could be more easily purchased in stores. And now when someone makes homemade bread, everyone says, (gasps) because nobody knows how to do it anymore, let alone find it. The fashion revolution, largely a result of the industrial revolution, many changes in fashion have taken place in the 20th century. Styles of dress for both men and women have become more revealing. And we've talked about this last month when we were going through the other study that we had. You know, we we have skinny, skinny jeans on men. Well, we have skinny jeans on men and women. But we got used to it on women, and now 
we're, we're supposed to get used to it on men. It's, it's just wrong. It's, it's revealing. It's just revealing. Women's fashions became more masculine, you know, like Rosie the Riveter. And, and, and so we've lost the, just the old-fashioned idea of men and men, women and women. And the lines of gender identity and fashion have become less clearly defined. And I think everybody knows that's absolutely the case. Letter C, economic pressure and prosperity. Uh, keeping up with the Joneses. Inflation and the desire of prosperity have wrought havoc on our families. And so number one, the two-income family has become the way of life. I'm not saying that you're wrong if you have to have two incomes. I'm just saying that you've, you've got fallen into this trap. I, uh, I just knew for me that when we didn't have children, there's no reason why my wife shouldn't work. Might as well. But once we had children, I knew that she had a job that was bigger than any amount of money she could have made. And and I also knew that no matter what, I should realize that. Remember years ago, I was in Hawaii. and It's a faint memory now. I sure hope it happens again. But anyhow, years ago, I was in Hawaii, and I was on a fishing boat with my dad, and he had wanted to go fishing and chartered a boat. And there was another guy on the boat he was from Detroit and he was a talker and he just talked the whole time and he was talking about how he worked for Ford his wife works for Ford and and uh they just had a little baby and so his wife took you know however many months she was allowed to have off to be with the baby and and uh you know he's just talking 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 it's just one of those guys that talks all the time and so we're just listening and and then he said something he said something about yeah he said then it was time for her to go back to work and all of a sudden she didn't want to go back to work you know she wanted to stay home with the baby and I'm thinking, yeah, I know why, because that's just what moms are created to do. And uh, he said, but he said, all right, fine. He said, I, I told her, I said, you can stay home. That's what you want to do. But you're not going to be able to keep the expedition. And we're not going to be able to stay in that nice house that we live in. I mean, if you're not going back to work, then we're going to have to sell our house. We're going to have to sell the cars. We're going to have to just change our lifestyle. He said, huh. once I put it to her that way, she went back to work. I never forgot that, only as an illustration. And um, I'm sorry, that was a long time ago. That was probably close to 20 years ago, and that little infant is now grown up. But a lot of people have chosen this. This is what they've chosen. It's not because they have to. And all of us, especially you young people, it's so easy to say, well, I can afford that, and I, I can afford the payments for that, and and us old geezers, we know, man, after a while, those payments start adding up, and, and man, we are in debt. I remember years ago telling somebody that's sitting in this room right now, I know right now you want to work at the coal mines to pay some debts, and that's not a bad idea, but just remember, you get the debts paid and get out of there, because it's not a great family job. And uh, and and don't don't decide like most coal miners do, and of course, that's not the case now, but a lot of those coal miners, they started affording bigger toys. I said, when you're working at the coal mine, just get your debts paid. But hopefully you don't start saying, oh, and I, I sure could use an ATV. I heard the guys talking about one. I sure could use a camper, and I could, sure could, and a boat would be nice. And, and then pretty soon you don't get to work at the coal mines. You have to work at the coal mines. Don't let your, your, your lust for stuff drive what you decide you have to spend your time on. And so use wisdom. And young people, when, when it's all said and done, Happiness and marriage is not about what you got. 
It's not about how big your house is or what kind of car you drive. You know, I don't drive a fancy car, but it gets me where I need to go. And the best part about my car, i tell you my, my favorite part about my car. It's paid for. That's my favorite part. And I hope that's your goal. I hope that's your goal. And I'm not saying if you have a nice car, you're wrong. It's just that I know I can't do as much as I'd like to do if I got to be tied into something else all the time. And so then secondly, the young children who once spent their tender years at home with mom are often shuffled off to daycare centers and sitters. Years ago, I was waiting at Walmart for Miss Wilma, which can be like purgatory. And so I was sitting out in the car and I was listening to the radio and, and I, I do not endorse this person, but 20 some years ago, she was the only thing on to listen to and it was Dr. Laura. And it was like, most of it's like, oh my word, my life is simple compared to people. You know, it's just like, what a mess, you know what I mean? Just anyway, but, but somebody called into Dr. Laura and they were, and she, and Dr. Laura said something I agreed with. And I thought, wow, good for you. <clears throat> some, some lady called in and she was a young parent and she said, you know, I, 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 I'm conflicted between staying home with my child and going back to work. And I, and, and, and she said, well, how much is the babysitting? And, and babysitting is not cheap. And she said, consider how much you're going to spend just for the babysitting and consider how much time you're going to be away from them. And, 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 and understand that maybe you could put off your personal goals 20 years if you need to. She's, and then she said this, and this is the part I never forgot. She said, you know, it's kind of funny, but young adults drop off their babies at the daycare. And then when those babies grow up, after 30 or 40 years, those babies drop off their parents at a daycare. Bible does talk about that. I just want to quickly show you a couple of things. Titus chapter 2 and 1 Timothy chapter 5. Titus chapter 2 in verse 1 it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Years ago, I knew of a couple who... Uh, the husband did work at the coal mine and yet the wife just had this desire for something to do and and um, she just I guess apparently always had that and she she wanted to work for um, EMT you know where you know because that's exciting I mean you you know you get a phone call and boom you're in the ambulance and but she had children at home and I'm sure they could have afforded it without her having to do that and the last time I saw her she might still be doing the EMT stuff but she's with a different husband now. I mean, sometimes you get what you want and lose what you had. And then Timothy chapter 5 and verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Guiding the house. And uh, again, I know that we have single parent uh, families and, and we have people that they, they have no choice at this point in their life in some things. 
But it is a blessing if you'll just go and look at like, and we're not going to go there right now, but Proverbs chapter 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, she was very industrious. It's not like the Bible saying women should just sit at home and do nothing. That's not what the Bible's saying. But this woman in Proverbs 31, she took care, I mean, she knew how to till the land and take care of her stuff. And she was industrious. She could sell what she made and she could do stuff with it, but she was still took care of her home. And their children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and, she, and he praiseth her. But it was at home, not a career woman. I know that's totally not politically correct and totally against what everything goes on today. And even a few years ago when our son graduated from the School of Mines, some said, I'm surprised Hannah's, not, you don't care about Hannah going to the School of Mines? It's not that I don't care about Hannah. And it wasn't really my choice. It was Hannah's choice, but she didn't want to. And she actually had grades almost as good as Caleb's, but she wasn't worried about being a career woman. That wasn't what she was thinking. And she also wasn't thinking this for sure, which I think some people think. Well, she needs to have a career in case her marriage falls apart. Well, now you're planning for failure. All right, don't do that. Plan for success because you believe God knows better than you do. All right, so then... Number three, the decline of morality. The decline of human dignity. We have an illustration here. Animals do not perceive a sense of morality as humans do. A dog is subject to commit a sexual act on any street corner and feel no sense of shame about it. Evolution has reduced man to the level of being no more than an intelligent animal. And our kids are getting taught that every year in their schools. And we're getting bombarded with it everywhere. Fred Flintstone came from the prehistoric family. No, he didn't. He's a cartoon. Evolution doesn't exist. It's not true. If evolution is true, then morality is no more than an outdated invention of man created to suit the needs of some earlier society, which is exactly what some people believe. Some people just look at someone like me and say, you just are old-fashioned because you don't understand. That Just that was for a pre, you know, you know, pre some foreign time society that believed in those morality things that's not no no no. Uh, when a man believes that there is no god and that he is an animal he will surely begin to act accordingly and i've often said this i don't even know if it's a really good illustration but i've just said it there is no divorce court for the deer and the elk but you know there's some really derelict bucks out there. They're always running around with some other doe. They don't stick with one doe. And the bull elk, they're always screaming and bugling at these different cows. Talk about immoral. You know why we don't think that? Because animals aren't human. They weren't created in the image of God. There isn't the expectation for the animals that there are for human. But if you're caught that you are an animal then you start to behave like an animal. There is no divorce court for animals. And I never see a fawn running around crying, Bambi crying, because dad left mom. Because animals aren't human. But I know kids that cry because dad left mom. And vice versa. See, we're not animals. Humans know better. We were created to know better. In John chapter 1 it says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. So even though man isn't saved and a lot of men aren't saved, they still have enough light in them to know basic concepts of right and wrong. They know thou shalt not kill is really a good rule. In Romans chapter 2, 
verse 14 and 15. Romans chapter 2. In verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these have, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. In other words, even people who are ignorant of the Bible know some things that the Bible would teach because our conscience tells us that. Verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So mankind even knows the, some, I mean, like I said, most men, most human beings know that killing is wrong. And somewhere we know that, that cheating is wrong. We're not animals. We're created, but the moral decline is because of the evolutionary thinking and the depravity that happens with it. And then letter B, the rise of pornography. Again, fornication, pornea. Once pornography was available only to adults who were shameless enough to go out and purchase it off some adult book counter. Once. Today, it's available at the touch of a button to men, women, children of all ages by means of the internet. Internet porn has destroyed countless homes and marriages. Internet porn and and just porn in general is everywhere. I suppose they have something called soft porn, which I really don't know all all their definitions because my definitions are biblical and theirs won't be. What I would call indecent and ungodly and almost totally pornographic they might just laugh at but let me just say it to you this way you might have noticed this and this is very humbling for me to say but I'm balding stop laughing but I'm not bald wouldn't it be dumb if I keep losing my hair and I get down to the last two hairs and I comb them and I brush them and I shampoo them and I dry them and I curl them and I take all kinds of care of them and then I wake up one morning and those two hairs are on my pillow and I say, I'm bald. Dude, you've been bald for a long time. Those are the last two hairs. Mr. Girding was trying to tell us tonight he's not bald. He has a lot of problems. That's, I think honesty is one of them. But anyway... And what I'm trying to say is you you don't have to be stark naked to be naked. Okay? When you read the Bible and it says Jesus was on the shore and Peter was in the fishing boat and he threw his coat around him because he was naked. Do not think that Peter was fishing bare naked. He was not fishing bare naked. He just wasn't as clothed as he would be as if he was in front of someone other than his co-workers. That's what that means. And understand, the biblical definition of naked doesn't have to be like we think it. And pornography isn't just bare naked playboy. It's, it's just this whole revealing of things we ought not be seeing. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes like TV set, you know. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. We don't have television. There's just no reason to pay for that stuff to come into my home. 
There just is no reason for that. We already have internet. You can get a lot of things just off the internet. But even before internet, we had maybe a DVD player or VHS tape machine. And we would watch stuff, and we've watched things, and we have a collection of things, but we don't have anything R. We are, I don't think we have anything PG-13. And besides all that, why let the world tell me what the rating is? We need to recognize, in other words, there's just nothing, nothing that comes on the screen that should be a violation of, of this, what we're talking about tonight. In other words, man, if, there, if there's a situation or innuendos, whoa, 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 we're, time out, we're stopping. And, and, and so our family doesn't watch something where a man and a woman are in the same bed or something like that. that no, no, that just doesn't, we don't even go there. Um, I don't need to set wicked things before my eyes. And if thine eye, Matthew eighteen nine, Jesus said, if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. If necessary, we talk about addictions on Friday night. If necessary, yank the internet out of the wall and throw the whole thing in the, the whole computer in the garbage if, if you've got an issue with that, your TV or whatever. The rise of pornography, and now it's on our phones. And we've all got these dumb phones and they're just bombarding you with stuff. And we know it, you know it. And, and husbands, probably more than wives, pornography is probably a bigger uh, tool of Satan towards men. And, and you husbands, me included, have to be completely honest with our family. And we even have paid $12 a month to have this internet filter thing that filters our phone, our internet, everything. And it will flag us if something is questionable. And I mean, it's really squeaky clean. And it's fine. It's fine. The other night, I think it was like a Tuesday night or something, I got a text on my phone saying that Caleb Furs was watching Dick Van Dyke. So I texted him, Caleb, are you watching Dick Van Dyke? Yes, and I'm proud of it. I mean, that's, it's like I have no idea what they thought Dick Van Dyke was doing wrong, but I'm just saying, I'd rather have that. And I'd rather have him know that I get that. And, and he's a grown man. I mean, he doesn't even live in my house anymore, but he's all by himself, and so he doesn't mind the accountability. And I'm trying to say that, that we trust our son, but we don't trust the devil. And the devil's after him all the time. Let her see the exploitation of sex is a marketing tool. Do you know they use it to sell everything now? Illustration, sex is, is now used to sell just about everything. Cars, toothpaste, clothing, and even furniture are sold today using sexual overtones and insinuations. Much of the humor in today's primetime television is now related to sex in some way. Um, I've never watched a complete episode of something called Friends. But I think they should have called it fornication. Because what I have seen, the little snippets, it's all about comedy related to this very thing. What is the point? I've never watched a complete episode of Seinfeld. Because what I've seen is enough for me to say, there's going to be something in there. 
The media and marketers have cheapened this precious gift of God so that its true meaning has been lost in mainstream culture. Christians should be aware of this. You should be aware of what they know what will catch a guy's eye. They know what will even catch a, a woman's eye. And that subject or that thing or whatever it might be. And of course, everybody's thinking that someone else's love life's better than mine, so they're always watching. And the Hollywood actors are just acting. If you haven't read the tabloids lately, and I don't recommend that you do, they're not happy in their marriages. That's why they're always getting divorced. That's why they're always running around with somebody else. It's a lie. It's a big lie. It's, it's Satan that's behind it. I remember years ago, maybe 20 years ago, NASCAR had a woman driver. There was a lady that was going to be a part of NASCAR driving. And I just remember seeing something, and, 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 and then there was this picture where she is laid out across her car, across the hood. And she's not dressed in race car gear. Anybody remember Wild Bill Elliott? He used to drive one of those NASCAR cars. I think he was number nine or number three or something like that. No, number three was that other guy. Anyhow, they never had Wild Bill Elliott spread out across his car. Why do they need a scantily dressed person to sell their product? Why do they need that? They don't need it, except that that's what gets your attention. And, and, and so sex is used as a marketing tool. Understand that most movies have to have it in there to keep people's attention. It's filth. It's garbage. It's wrong. It's not necessary. It's not necessary even in movies about the Bible, which I'm very, very leery of. There's stories in the Bible that do not need to be on screen. And yet those are the stories that people want to watch. Listen, this is all because Satan knows that we have a flesh. Letter D, the acceptance of fornication as normal and healthy. Many promote what they call safe sex. There is no such thing. Sex outside of marriage is never safe, but always sinful. Always. If it's outside of marriage, it's wrong, no matter what it is. It's not, it doesn't matter if you're both in love and you've never been married before. It's still wrong. God's judgment against sexual impurity of all forms, um, he's against it. And I'm just going to quickly go through these verses and try to read them to you as fast as I can, and I hope that you can follow along. But Galatians chapter number 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3 says... But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving... That, that covers all your TV sitcom stuff. Why do they have to use that to try to make something funny? Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 5, it says, Mortify therefore the members which are upon this earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. Put that away from you. Get away from that. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. Excuse me, chapter 4 and verse 3 and then 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. And chapter 5, verse 22 says, abstain from all appearance 
of evil. And then I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to read starting in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I mean, if, you, if you're into that right now, you, you get saved, you get out of that, you don't have to be in that anymore. But you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any meats for the belly, belly for meat, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication. God did not make your body to fornicate, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. When you commit fornication, you're actually hurting yourself. And you're hurting your God who made you because you're marring the image that he made you in, God's image. Remember what Joseph said to that woman who tried to seduce him? I can't sin against God. It wasn't about, he wasn't worried about what Potiphar or anyone else thought. It was God. That's the best thing you can do is remember what God thinks. I want to stop here and tell you just, just real quickly that several years ago, about six years ago, I printed this off and I can send it to you if you want to read it. But it was a study of women, older women. 63% of them, 37 out of 59, had male microchrisms or microchism, chimerisms in their brain. And they were puzzled by this because it was male DNA in their brain. How did it get there? How do, they, how do these women have male DNA in their brain? How could that be? And the obvious answer is that they retain DNA from every man they've ever been with. It never leaves your system. I don't have time to read it all. Some of them thought, well, well maybe it's because they had a, a baby boy. And, you know, they were pregnant with a male boy, and that's why. No. Most of the women they tested weren't, had never been pregnant. You can study that on your own if you want, but it's... Now, I hope what I told you scientifically is not what scares you more than what the God says, because God says, it's bad for your body. That ought to be enough. That ought to be, that ought to be enough. But you know why the world has all these love songs about can't get you out of my mind? Because literally they can't. I mean, they really are attached to those people. God knows best. And we need to learn to do it God's way and friends is of the devil. And all the other TV shows in Hollywood is of the devil. It's lying to you. They're making millions of dollars, but it's lying it's not true. The world says it's true, but it's not. The world says this is fun, but it's not. It's destructive. Sin's fun for a season. I'm not going to deny that. But you reap what you sow. 
So the destruction of marriage. I, I have to quickly finish this and, and we'll be done. But the destruction of marriage. Divorce, obviously. While men, many Christian families have been touched by the heartbreak of divorce, it has never been a part of God's creation design. The breakdown of family values. While there's much talk about the importance of family today, family values have been redirected and redefined to accommodate a post-Christian culture. I read to you last month in Leviticus 18 how it says you shouldn't reveal your nakedness to anyone but your own spouse. And that would include your children. It's very wrong for parents, mothers, to expose themselves in front of their kids, especially the boys. I'm telling you right now, you're not doing good to your sons when you do that. And, and boys, brothers and sisters, cousins, wrong. Take heed what Leviticus 18 says. And then same-sex marriage, Leviticus 18.22 says it's an abomination for a man to lie with another man. How foolish can you get? The first marriage was between Adam and Eve, a man and a woman, not Adam and Steve. And the Bible says in Leviticus 20, verse 13, it's an abomination and it's, it should be punished by the death penalty. And then the disgrace of abortion will, will be done. Abortion is society's way of doing away with sexual responsibility. And let me, just say, let me just say this real quick. The death penalty is the Bible way to take care of sodomy. The death penalty is the right thing to do when it comes to homosexuality. Now, I believe in the grace of God, and I believe if, if someone got saved, praise the Lord for that. But that still is the correct thing. That's God's mind on it. That should tell us everything we need to know. All right. The disgrace of abortion. Abortion is society's way of doing away with sexual responsibility. Barack Obama said, well, I don't want my daughters to have to pay for making a mistake. So instead I'm going to, you know, I, I believe abortion is a good idea. Psalm 139, I'm not going to read it tonight, but Psalm 139, it, it clearly in verse 13 through 17, it shows how that a baby is seen by God and how that a baby's members are all written in the Lamb's book of life before they're ever born. So according to God, you're taking a life. Life begins at conception, not at birth. It's legalized murder. And this is the week we celebrate the 50th year of it here in America. And then the decadence of sodomy. And we read that already in Genesis. I preached about it a couple weeks ago. Sodomy is at the bottom of sin's barrel. Romans chapter 1 reads, we read about the homosexuality is a sin which enslaves men and can ultimately lead to final alienation from God. And unfortunately, we have sodomites living in Custer. I am not telling anybody here we should go kill them because that's not our job. They need to be, they need to be told that they need to be born again that they need to be changed from the inside out, that God needs to change their heart and they need to re- reach out to God for salvation and grace and mercy. But sodomy brings judgment of God on a nation or an individual. And history tells us that that's the bottom of every nation. Once you get that far, it's, that's it. There's no, you can't get any further down than that. God has never failed to judge a society which gave itself over to the sin of sodomy. In Genesis, the story of God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah demonstrates that in chapter 19 of Genesis. That that's what God's attitude is towards this sin. And we live in a day where what I've just said is so politically incorrect, but I'm just going to tell you, I'm not running for any election, so I don't care. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says, what God's mind is on it. 
So where do I stand? Satan is using powerful tools today to influence people in the area of sex. The media and internet are packed with sexual explicit content. Many of your peers probably see nothing wrong with premarital or abortion or sodomy. As long as it doesn't affect me or hurt me, I don't care what they do. Perhaps your views have already been influenced by the world's philosophy. They suggest in the space below to write three ways in which you can guard your mind against the influence of Satan's sexual revelation. Would Jesus watch this? Would Jesus, would the word of God, the Jesus of the Bible, would, is this what the Holy Spirit, the comforter we sang about, is this what he would want me to think about, look at, or be around? So a final word. Remember that while God hates sexual sin, he loves the sinner. He died on the cross for, for sinners. As amazing as it may seem, there is forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. And maybe someone in here is guilty of some things. I'm going to tell you what, the grace of God is wonderful. And I hope that you will humbly say to some young people that you would like for them to do it different than you did. That takes humility to do that, but that would be a wonderful thing if you could do that. And let them know you're praying for them and you're encouraging them and you want more for them than you had. And I hope that you pray for our young people because they're bombarded and they're, they're under attack. And it's not easy being a young person, especially with all the temptations that are out there and the pressures that are out there. But this is just one of many, several five lessons or so or six lessons that we can go through. And we'll, we'll talk about what is a man and what is a woman, not, not just biology, but what is it like to be a man and what is it like to be a lady? Because that's not taught anywhere. But God has a lot to say about it. The sad thing is, is I drive a school bus and years ago I remember some kids getting on the bus and they were giggling because they just came out of sex education class. I don't think it's the government's job to teach this subject. I think it's the parents' job and the church's job to say, thus saith the Lord, here's what you need to know. What happens with the government institutions is they say, all right, we're going to tell you all about this. And of course it's 12-year-olds or less. And then they hand them all these contraceptives. No, that's so, that's so silly. So, not silly, so sick. It's like giving a child a gun with bullets in it and saying, this is how it works. It's just so sick, it's wrong. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together tonight. And I pray that people would be educated, but also uh, challenged and that we would, that we would be humbled, all of us, that we would be reminded what your mind is on these subjects, what your thought is about these things. Maybe we need to go home and clean out some of our video library or books or magazines. Maybe we need to scrub things off of our phones or computers. Maybe we need to just get right with you in some other area of our heart, that you would just help us to be clean people that would be really clean vessels for you thank you for their time and their attention tonight as i did go long but help us to be sober-minded and be aware that there's real great potential in this room and satan wants to ruin it help us to be very focused on fighting against him and helping these young people reach the wedding altar and beyond very clean and pure vessels for you and we ask this in jesus name amen